Well, good morning, Crosspoint. You may have a seat. Welcome. And so, so good to see all of you. I see by our numbers here a little bit that most of you guys are uh, either feeling a little more comfortable or over whatever was going on with you. So either way, welcome. For those of you joining us online, it's such a pleasure to have you guys join us, and we look forward to just having our group uh, continue to grow as everybody kind of comes back slowly as you feel is uh, adequate or proper or best for, for you and your family. But either way, welcome. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, I, I truly am always excited to be able to have an opportunity and humbled by the fact that I get to stand here and share God's word with you. As you know, we've started a series, a long one. I don't know how long it's going to be, but we're going to go through the gospel according to Luke. And my hope is that as we go week by week, God speaks to you. And I'm saying this now to catch you nice and fresh. When you come to church and you listen to a message or you're watching a preacher or a Bible teacher online or uh, on TV or you're listening to it on the radio, part of your job in mind when we're listening to somebody else expound on the word is to really be attentive to see how God will speak to us. And I think that's one of the most exciting things that we as humans can experience, to know that God through his word, regardless of who it is that's speaking, is talking to us. And so as we go through the gospel according to Luke, you know, try to be attentive, read at home, study yourself uh, before you come here. You know, we're going to be in chapter one for another couple of weeks, but start reading the gospel of Luke, and then you're going to come just better prepared to be able to hear a message from Luke, and then just see what God has for you. There's going to be so much application, and what I want to do is really just stick to the Bible as much as I can and just teach what it says and rely and trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you when it comes to application because there is a ton of application here. But we have to discern not everything that's in there is specifically for us necessarily or whatever happened to someone doesn't mean it has to happen to us, but we get to see who God is. And so this morning, I'm excited to be able to share that with you. I want to throw that out there right at the get-go. But if you're new here or you don't receive our newsletters, I would love for you to do that. That's just a way for you to be able to connect with us. Go to crosspointchristianchurch.com, scroll all the way down, fill out that short form that literally takes about a minute, and you'll be getting um, mainly emails, definitely on a weekly basis through our sister Elvi, who does a wonderful work with that newsletter, just allowing you to keep up with what's going on, what's happening, what's, gonna, what's coming up and what uh, we're going to be, where we're doing, and what God is doing here at Crosspoint. I'm going to make one announcement, and that is that growth groups begin in two weeks, the week of February 6th. So we're going to ask everybody to, to re-register online. If you need help, we can help you here. But um, we, we want to keep the same groups. It's going to be a short trimester because we're practically skipping out of all of January, at least a couple of weeks in January. So it's going to be February in March, so about eight weeks with your group. We're going to be studying uh, various books of the Bible. So when you go online, you take a look at what's available, what day, what time, what format. Is it online or in person? And then it's going to show uh, what book uh, that group is going to be studying. So we're excited to preach through the gospel according to Luke here on Sunday mornings. And then in your growth groups, you're going to be studying a different book of the Bible, some Old Testament, some New Testament. So we're really excited about that. I want to highly, highly encourage you to be part of a growth group. 
my hope, one of the things, if, if you ask me, hey, Mike, what would you like to see happen at Crosspoint? I would love, high in my priority list would be that everyone who, be, who considers themselves part of Crosspoint will be plugged in to a growth group. To me, that would be a, a, a dream come true, but really close to that, really close to that, because I believe that us committing to a small group, a small community where you can get to know other people, not just their names, but that's a great start. But what's going on with them in their lives? How can I help them? How can they help me? How can we be the body of Christ? And so that's what growth groups provide, an opportunity for you to grow in a small community and really plug into this church through that. All right, so uh, register online. If you need help, you can see me, any of the elders, any of the group leaders, and um, I, I pray that it'll, it'll, go, it'll go well. Looking forward to it. About half the groups are online, and the other half are, are in person various days throughout the week, different times. So see what fits best for your schedule, and, uh, and let's get on the growth group bus. This morning, I want to share with you a verse in preparation for us taking communion. Now, if, if you were just irresponsible and you did not pick up a element like I did, <laughs> I'll take one, Jason. Thank you. You know what it is. We're missing Renee this morning. He's throwing us all off. All right, Renee. Hope you get better. He's, he's a little under the weather, as is my wife and probably all other people that, uh, so if you see me staying away, you know why. Thank you, Jason. But raise your hand and you'll be provided one of these. I want to share with you Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And this is a verse that I'm actually going to use within the message. But I want to use it now in preparation for us taking communion. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. During the message, I'm going to focus on verse 4. So right now, what I want to do for, for communion is I want to focus on verse 5. So here Paul is writing to believers in the region of Galatia, not necessarily a church, but many Christians around a large uh, region. And he says the following, he says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so verse 5 again, it says, that the purpose for which God at his timing sent forth Jesus, our Lord, his only begotten, was to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Beloved, we are children of God. We have the pleasure and honor to call each other brethren, brothers and sisters, because we've been born of God. We have been adopted by God and his children. How? By having been redeemed or bought back through the blood, through the price that Jesus paid at the cross, we were bought back, literally bought back with the blood of Christ. So that we would no longer be under the law, meaning that as long as you're under the law, you will never be justified. No flesh is justified through the law. The law, in fact, is there in part to show us our need of a Savior. And anybody who thinks that they can earn their way to heaven is mistaken. There's only one way, 
and that is Jesus Christ our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we being under the law and being under condemnation by the law were redeemed or bought back by what Jesus did for us at the cross of Calvary. That is the good news of salvation. And that is what we remember, we celebrate, and we proclaim every Sunday when we take communion. So as we peel back the first layer and take that bread, that unleavened bread that represents the sinless body of Christ our Lord, hung on that cross on our behalf. Let's take that together. The price was high, and only Jesus can pay that price, for he was God-man. And this juice represents the blood of Christ our Lord that was shed on the cross of Calvary on our behalf to redeem us from the law and our sin. Let's take that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you on this beautiful Sunday morning for allowing us to gather to gather, to raise our voices, to praise you, honor you through, through these songs that speak of your faithfulness and your power and your love. We proclaim that. As we take communion, we recognize that your love made this happen. And Lord Jesus, your sacrifice is something that we will forever be grateful. Help us to proclaim that and share that message of salvation through what you did for us at the cross. I thank you for everybody who's here this morning, for those joining us online. We pray also, Father, for everyone who's struggling through uh, any, any disease, any illness, or any health issue for which they're not able to make it with us. We pray that you will be with them, comfort them, strengthen them, and heal them, Father. Guide us, lead us. Holy Spirit, teach us this morning. Inform us. Transform us in order that we will be more like Christ our Lord, for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. All right, beloved, let's get right to it. So this morning, I want to share a message with you entitled, God's Sovereignty and Timing. God's Sovereignty and Timing. And we're going to read through Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And... Um, That'll get us right till about a close to a third of the first chapter. Last week, what we did is we did an introduction to the book of, or the gospel according to Luke. And today, we're going to take a look at verses 5 through 25. And there's a lot of things happening. But one of the things that you and I have to do as disciples or students of the word is to, as we're reading, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, whether it's a gospel, a narrative, or a, a Pauline epistle, or revelation, whatever it is, our job as we study is, where is God in this? And, and as we read stories, whether it's, it's David slaying Goliath, I mean, that's a really cool story that most of us, if you grew up in church, learned as, as children. But the question has to be, where was God in all that? Because ultimately, God has to be the star, because he is. 
God is always the main character in any story of the Bible. And so as we read through Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, a lot of things are going to go on here. But I think if we take a step back, one of the things that we see here is God's sovereignty and perfect timing. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I have a key verse that I want to share before we get to Luke chapter 1, 5 through 25, and that is Job 42, verse 2. If you've ever, if you've ever read through Job, it's a very interesting book. It's kind of long. It's kind of sad. It's a lot of talking. But if you read through that, it's an amazing story that takes a, a man... God takes a man through a series of events. We would say tragic, difficult, very difficult events. And right at the end of the book, we see at least part of the purpose for that to occur. And that is that Job learns a lesson, a very important lesson. And here in Job 42, verse 2, we're quoting Job, and he says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. He's speaking to God. After everything that Job goes through, one of the lessons that he learns is a very important one, and one that I, I hope that we can begin to learn or, or, or grow in our knowledge or understanding of this, is what Job says. I know. Remember last week we talked about being convinced of the things that we say we believe? Well, he says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Beloved, you talk about worship, you talk about adoration, that's it right there. When you and your spirit and all of who you are can turn to God and say, I know that you are the Almighty, that there is nothing that can be withheld from you. That if you want to do something, you're going to do it regardless of what anyone says, thinks, feels, or wants. And that is a huge lesson for us as Christians to learn, that God is sovereign, that he is able to do anything and everything according to his will, and that if he purposes something, it will get done, period. And there are so many implications to that, and I hope to be able to develop that just a little bit. But that's a key verse that, that I think will help us to just kind of get started in, in thinking about God's sovereignty and timing as we look at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Here's the main point. We must accept and trust in God's sovereignty in order to live for his glory. It'll be very difficult, in fact, impossible, for you to live a life for the glory of God if you don't understand or accept that God is sovereign. In fact, I would dare say that those of us who might be disappointed with Christianity or discouraged in Christianity or upset at God, perhaps, though many of us would not dare admit that, and that would include those of us that are kind of wishy-washy. That is a theological term that means we're flaky, that we're, that we're just kind of going through the motions I think all of that stems from our inability to understand or unwillingness to accept that God is sovereign and that this 
And when I say this, I mean this, everything in the universe, past, present, and future, is all completely about him. That's huge, beloved. Because you and I need to understand that by nature, we are egocentric. We're selfish, and we think that the world revolves around us. And some of us as children, that's, that's how we come into this world, thinking it's all about us. And then some of us kind of maturing is learning to get away from that mentality. And I would dare say that to a certain extent and different degrees, most of us will live our last day on earth never having fully learned that lesson, that it's all about him. And that it is within his purposes and his timings and his sovereignty that we find ourselves in this story that belongs to him. And that's what we're going to see here. I have five points to share with you. And so, yes, we're going to go fairly fast. And it's, they all start with P, the main word. So we're going to look at God's plan to save sinners. We're going to look at a priest and his wife. We're going to look at the couple's problem. We're going to look at a forgotten prayer. And then we're going to end it up with God's miraculous provision. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Let me read the, the, that entire section to get us started. My hope is that you go home or that you would have gone home already and started reading Luke. Uh, maybe after you hear this message, go back and read it. Take a look at the points, at the verses that I share with you, and uh, just continue, deepen your understanding of Luke's gospel, God's word, in order that you would be convinced of the things that you claim to believe. And so here it goes. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside of the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to, quote, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom 
and the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, end quote. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among the people. I'm not kidding when I say there's so much in that reading. And so part of my job, the difficult one, I think, is to really not get caught up in so many things that I would like to preach on and touch on. But um, those are the five points that we're going to look at here. And... Remember that the big picture, Luke writes to Theophilus to set things in order so that Theophilus can be sure of the things that he's been taught. And one of the things that that I didn't mention last week, which I think is important as an introduction to Luke, is Luke, in, in, in Luke's gospel, or in his narrative, the good news of salvation, he wants the reader and readers, potentially, to know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just of the Jews, but of the entire world, Luke being a Greek. And you're going to see that throughout the gospel. And so Luke's main point in his gospel is that Jesus is the Savior of all, not just the Jews. I think that I wanted, I wanted to make sure I, I bring that up. Um, in this section, we see something really interesting. So let me get started with our points, and we'll just go from there. So I'll start with the fact that God's plan to save sinners. That's not exactly in the text that we're reading, but that is the purpose for which Luke is writing his gospel. I mean, it's literally called the gospel according to Luke. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke tells Theophilus, hey, remember what I wrote to you in the gospel according to Luke about everything that Jesus did and taught? And then he writes his follow-up, which is the book of Acts. So Luke is telling his reader or his audience everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. And Jesus came for one purpose. He did a lot of things, but his main purpose was to save sinners. And Luke understands that. He wants Theophilus to understand that. And then he gives him the narrative of how Jesus accomplishes that task of, or his plan to save sinners. So as you read the gospel according to Luke, Luke is saying, this is everything you need to know about Jesus, about God's promise to save, to redeem, not just the nation of Israel, but the entire world, going back all the way to the promise he made to Abraham, that in, through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then he goes on and gives this narrative about everything that Jesus did and taught, how his plan was rolled out to save sinners. 
So keep that in mind. That is the big picture. So as, as Luke narrates certain stories and, and talks about certain things, the big picture is, Theophilus, I want you to make sure of the things that you learned. And what you learned is Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so God's plan to save sinners. Later on in uh, one of my favorite stories that we're going to read here in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus, right? And then chapter 19, verse 10, where it says that the, the Lord speaking of himself says, for even the son, of, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's an important verse here in, in, our, in our reading. So God's plan to save sinners. So let me go back to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Because what Luke is doing here is still an introduction. For the first three chapters, Luke is going to be talking about things that happened before the Lord begins his earthly ministry. So when Luke says at the beginning that he has perfect knowledge of everything from the very beginning, Luke goes back. Not, he doesn't start like John does, right? John, uh, the gospel according to John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He starts off right with Jesus. Mark does something very similar. Matthew also goes back. But not as, back, not as far back as Luke does, because Luke goes back to John's parents. And I know you guys know this, but the John that is going to be born, and we're going to talk about in the next couple of chapters, that's John the Baptist, who's, who's named, called John the Baptist, which is different from John the disciple, who later becomes an apostle. Well, you guys knew that already. Uh, but I remember... As a kid, learning that, I was like, what? There's more than one John in the Bible? That's, that's important to, uh, to distinguish. So the, and, and also to know that John was a cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ and that John was only six months older than the Lord. Very interesting stuff. All right. So God's plan to save sinners. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 that we read for when we took communion. But now I'm going to make emphasis on the first verse instead of the last one. It says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. One of the things that you see here with Luke is, I mean, I don't know if you ever think about these things or ask yourself these types of questions, but why did the Lord come to this earth at the time that he did? Why not a thousand years before or a thousand years later? And the answer is, there's a lot of things that were happening during human history then that seemed to have been perfect timing for the Lord to be born at that time. But the reality is that the Lord was born exactly when God wanted him to be born. Not a day later, not a day before. And it speaks of his sovereignty and his timing. And beloved, this is really important for us because the more we understand, and I say the more because I think it's going to be a lifelong process to really Learn that God is sovereign. As easy as that may sound, it's difficult when, it, when, when situations come into your life and you think that, hey, God is taking too long here. Why isn't God coming through here? Why is it taking so long for this? That's when us having to rely on the truth that God's timing is perfect and his sovereignty is perfect, that's when it kind of kicks in, when the rubber kind of meets the road for us in our lives. So the more we learn it, the easier it's going to be to navigate through this life, especially during those times and situations and circumstances when things don't quite make sense to us. 
And so it says, but when the fullness of the time had come, that means when, when God was ready, he sent forth his son, born of a woman. We're going to be reading that here in Luke, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so what Luke does is he starts his narrative all the way back from this priest, Zacharias, and his wife, Elizabeth, to who were going to be the parents of the forerunner of the person who was going to prepare the way for the Lord, and that was prophesied in the Old Testament. John is a very interesting individual, but we'll talk more about him. My point here is Luke tells us from the very beginning, even before the Lord was conceived, humanly speaking, of course, uh, he begins this story, this narrative. And I, I, we need to appreciate that, that he goes that far back. Um, so let's get to the priest. So we talk about God's plan for, for, to save sinners, and then we talk about a priest and his wife. So here we have Zacharias, chapter 1, starting in verse... And let me just mention a couple of things. It says, There was in those days Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And later on, we're going to be given... Mary's um, list of uh, all her forefathers, her genealogy that goes all the way back to Adam. Super interesting. But here's this couple, and listen to the description. And they were both righteous before God. So they weren't just, you know, pretenders. When they went to church, they acted all, you know, holy. And they were righteous before God. And then it says, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So this was a very special couple. By all intents and purposes, they did everything right. Not just publicly, but in their private life. And they were serving the Lord. And, and they were people of integrity. And they were walking with the Lord. They were obedient to the Lord. And then verse 7, but. Here are these outstanding people. They're doing everything right. As far as if you compare them with other people, top notch. And then but. But they had a problem. But we'll get to that in a little bit. That's point number three. I want to get to the problem already. But let me just talk about the priesthood a little bit. So the priesthood goes back all the way to the Old Testament, all the way back to Moses and his brother Aaron. And from the time of Aaron, which is most likely about 13 to 1400 years before Christ, let that sink in. So all this, you know, 40 years in the wilderness, Moses being raised to take out the, people, the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt, we're talking about over a thousand, easily over a thousand, close to 1500 years before Christ is born. And for, for that amount of time, there is this priesthood. For 1,500 years, there's this lineage of priesthood. And from the time of Aaron to now Zacharias, 13 through 1,500 years later, here's this priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Uh, and then it says, let me read a little bit about him. He's, he's chosen. So, during this time, when the Lord was born, the temple was already there. And I know I'm going to throw out some, some you know, 
seemingly, seemingly random uh, facts, but the, the temple was in existence. And it wasn't the original temple that was built by Solomon, which was a thousand years before Christ. It was a different temple, but the temple was there, and the priests were still active, and they were sacrificing the animals, and, they, and there was this whole religion that was, that was integrated with the culture, the Jewish culture. And here is this man who, as we understand, there was a lot of bad priests as well, but not this one. Zacharias was, was a person of integrity, was doing things right, and he had his wife, and, uh, and they were people of integrity. But I'll get to my next point. Let me just make one verse. Let me read one verse to you that has to do with the priesthood of Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the anointed one, is a very special individual. He is king. He's anointed king, priest, and prophet. And he's really the only one that, that fits all those three. And, and in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, it says, Seeing then that we have a high great priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So all I want to say about that in regards to the priesthood is that Jesus Christ is our perfect high priest. So the priest's job was to represent the people on behalf of God, and they would burn incense, and they would perform the sacrifices, and they would do a lot of things, and they represented the people on behalf of God, while Jesus is our perfect high priest. And you read Hebrews, and it does a marvelous job of explaining that. All I'm, I'm going to say about that is that through this priesthood, eventually we have a priesthood of the order of Melchizedek, and I'm not going to get into that either. But here we have the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. And I just throw in the fact what it says here, that we have a high priest, and he's not one that cannot identify with us. But in his humanity, he was tempted in all points, just like we are, yet he never sinned. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin when we give in to that temptation. And Christ, our Lord, can identify with every single one of the temptations that you face. But he's able to say, I did it without sinning. So let me talk about the couple's problem because I think that's a big deal. And I think that's something that a lot of us are probably going to be able to relate. But here are these, this couple that, by all intents and purposes, is trying to do everything right and is doing a very good job. They're blameless. Nobody can point their finger and say, you know that Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They can't. If they said anything about them, people will come back and say, like, that's not true. They're... they're and we know they're not perfect, but they were blameless. There was nothing in their life that stood out as something wrong in their lives. They were people of integrity. And then here in verse 7 it says, but they had no child, which was really a big deal. They had no child. Why? Two problems by now. Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now advanced in years. We don't know exactly how old they were, but... Zacharias knew he was, he and his wife were past the childbearing age, and it was going to take an act of God for that to be um, accomplished. I think there's a lot to say here, and as much as I don't want to get into too much of trying to me make it applicable, I, I, I hear this, I see it in my life. I would imagine you see it in your life. We at times feel this and we say, Lord, I, I, I'm trying to follow you. And I think I'm doing okay. 
I, I know I can do better. But why is everything seemingly falling apart? You know, I'm, I'm trusting you and I'm following you, but why isn't this working out? I, I, I sense that you want this for me, but it's not happening. I, I don't understand. And I would imagine all of us, if we're not going through something like that, we have or we will be going through something like that. And this story is there, I believe, in part to teach us. But it's not here to teach us that God is going to give us everything that we want. And I think that's really important. What I would say about this story here is that you look at Elizabeth and you look at Zacharias, and for no doubt decades, they wished and prayed that they could have children. And even though they didn't, for decades, I mean, if, say, they were married at 20 and they wanted to have children, now they're at the age, at least 20, 30 years have passed by, and they have not been able to conceive and have children. But they were blameless. They were serving. They were involved. They were obedient. They were walking in the ways of the Lord. But they had no children I think it's important for us to remember Hebrews 4.14, where we have a high priest that can identify with us. And then let me read 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Here's Elizabeth. And she says that, she says in, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but in verse 25, I'll remind you what I read. It says, this is Elizabeth, once she does conceive, she says, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days of, that where he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So here she is, serving, her husband is a priest, they're, they're serving, they're walking, and yet she feels this reproach from the people. And at times that's going to happen. You know, your family members that are not Christians are going to say, like, there you are going to church and, and look at what's happening to you. Where is your God? I thought he was so powerful. Why isn't he taking care of you? Why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that? And how we respond to that is very important. I love how Zacharias and Elizabeth responded to that. Yeah, she felt the reproach from the people. But that didn't stop her from serving and continuing to be blameless and humbling herself before the Lord. That was a big problem they had. Let me jump to point four, a forgotten prayer. Now, I'm taking some liberty here to say that Zacharias had forgotten his prayer because when he's inside burning incense, the angel appears to him. I'll start in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and, f and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. And listen to what he says. For your prayer is heard. Which prayer? And you and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Why do I say forgotten prayer? And you will have... It says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither strong wine 
wine or strong drink. He will also uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, and I'll skip all the way to verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. That tells me that Zacharias was not praying that day for God to give them a child. I think Zacharias and Elizabeth were way past praying for children based on his, on his uh, response. I mean, if he was praying for, if he woke up that morning and said, Lord, maybe today's the day you give my wife and I children, and then the angel comes and says, like, hey, you're going to bear a son, he would have said, like, yes, thank you, I prayed for that this morning. But he says, how... He, he, he expresses unbelief. And for that, he, God makes him mute until John is born and he's named. He expresses unbelief. As far as John, and again, we're talking about God's sovereignty and perfect timing. And many of us will look at this and say, like, that's almost mean. Why give him a child when they're all old and stuff? I mean, if he was going to give him a child, why not just give it to him at, you know? A year after they got married. And those are legitimate questions, I think, for us, humanly speaking. And, and, and maybe Zechariah could have said that. I mean, he, he, he expressed unbelief, but he could have easily expressed discontent. Like, I don't know if I want a child now. I'm kind of enjoying the uh, single, old, you know, life now that we're... He could have said so many things. Why now, Lord? But he was even past all that. He couldn't even believe that given his circumstances, God would do this for him and his wife. I think it was a forgotten prayer. It was probably something that he prayed years, if not decades before. I just find that super interesting, beloved, because I'm sure we all have circumstances. And I'm sure that we all have things in our lives that we've given up on. And I'm not saying that God's going to come through and give you whatever you want or your desire. It says, delight in the Lord and, the, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I don't know what your faith is. And I don't know your circumstance, but what I do know is that God is faithful. That God has a perfect plan. That he's sovereign. And he has a perfect timing. And I need to learn that. I totally need to learn that. Maybe a little bit at a time, and maybe a message like this will help you, will help us. But if nothing else, we see God's sovereignty and timing in this. And it doesn't make sense to us, but it's perfect. I mean, can you say that about your life? I don't know what's going on. I hate this situation. I, this is not, but Lord, you're sovereign, your timing is perfect, and, and I will praise you. The couple's problem, a forgotten prayer. Psalms 31:24 says, "So be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord." We sang, "Strength arises as we wait upon the Lord." I think that was the second song we sang. That's what it's all about, beloved. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. How are you feeling these days? Discouraged, tired, disappointed, disillusioned? Be strong and courageous, and we will be able to do that if we put our hope 
in the Lord because he's sovereign and his timing is perfect. Verse five, I mean, point five, we look at God's miraculous provision. Here we have a woman who is barren for decades. They definitely prayed that God would grant them children. But after so many decades, perhaps they had forgotten or just simply given up to the point where it was, it wasn't even something that could, they could understand, at least not Zacharias. He shows some unbelief. And of course, you would have done the same thing and I would have done the same thing if we were Zacharias. And the Lord will tell you, hey, why didn't you give up on that thing that I told you? I'm like, oh, because you took too long. Got tired of waiting. Well, here we see God's miraculous provision. And so the angel Gabriel on behalf of God comes and delivers this message to Zacharias. Zacharias is, is, is interesting. I'll just say this. Look at Zacharias. Gabriel comes to Zacharias. He gives him these incredible news. And Zacharias, the priest, shows unbelief. Next week, we're going to look at Gabriel coming to a young teenage girl and saying something just as, if not even more impossible or miraculous. And, and we're going to compare a little bit. We'll be able to compare Zachariah's response to this young teenage girl's response. And they were very different. I'll just say Mary was like, all right. I don't know how it's going to happen, but okay. And Zachariah was like, I don't even know how that's going to happen. How that could happen. And, uh, super interesting. So here we have the miraculous provision by the Lord who at his perfect timing, you know, it, it, allowing Zacharias and Elizabeth to bury son at their old age, past the age of childbearing, was no more difficult or easy for him than to allow them to bear a child at the prime of their life. There is nothing difficult for God. Not even, I'm not saying that nothing is too difficult for God. I'm saying nothing is difficult for God. Nothing is even remotely difficult for God. It's amazing. He's awesome. So we see God's miraculous provision, and he gives them, she, you know, he goes back home when he's done with his priestly duties. He goes back home, and um, verse 24, now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months. She just went away and hid herself. And she, uh, saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And after years and decades of prayer and suffering, probably the silent suffering of loving the Lord, serving the Lord, walking with the Lord, but always having this reproach from the people because God didn't allow her to bear children. And at her old age, in a way that could only glorify God, and point to God's power, sovereignty, and perfect timing, God allows her to conceive. And at her old age, along with her old husband, they bear a son, and they call him John. 
Only God can do that, beloved. Only God can do that with his sovereignty and perfect timing. There is a ton of application for us. I hope God speaks to you. I hope you go home and continue to read and, and just, just look. Look at, look at God. Be amazed by God who planned to save sinners, included this old couple. And, and everything the Lord does is just outstanding, miraculously, miraculous, and it glorifies and brings honor to his holy name. And that's what our lives need to be about, pointing to him for his sovereignty and perfect timing in our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're so grateful to you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for even the limited understanding that we have of it. We pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would transform us, that as we look at these stories and we praise you, we honor you, for it is your sovereignty and your timing that gets things done, that gets everything done. Forgive us for the times that in our ignorance, in our arrogance, we complain as we don't understand. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our high priest and that you understand our weaknesses and you're merciful, you're gracious. We know you're not gonna give us everything that we ask for and, and you do that even out of love and your perfect purposes. So help us be grateful for the things that we do have. Help us to be grateful for what you've done and who you are. And help us to continue to trust that in your perfect timing and sovereignty, all will be well for your honor and glory. We pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and eternal Savior. Amen. God bless you.